you, worship team. If you turn your Bibles to 1 John, we continue our study through this hard-hitting book. Um, it's a wonderful book. It certainly is fitting for our times we live in. And um, I'm, as I read Scripture more and more, I'm just uh, astounded by the relevancy of it. Uh, it's as relevant today as it was when it was first penned. This chapter certainly is true. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, the first six verses. No matter where you are as a Christian, no matter what occupation you may have, no matter what age you are, uh, no matter what season of life or where you live geographically, uh, this morning this passage hits us. Uh, it confronts all of us. And so pay attention as I read and we'll pray and then we'll see what God has for us. Beloved Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is within you than he who is within the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, and he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Lord, it would be very prideful and arrogant of us to proclaim to know what is true and what is false outside of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we confess this morning that our perspective, our attitudes are marred by sin. But God, we thank you we've been apprehended as Christians by your Spirit and you've opened our eyes to see, to hear, to understand. We pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you guide us into all truth. Lord, we recognize as we say that there's a lot of things that we're guided from as you guide us to truth. So help us to understand this morning what you're trying to say. Help us to not just hear it, but to truly understand. And Lord, might your word be a mirror before our life, that whatever is in our life is held up to your mirror and shown as it really is, whether it be our belief or attitudes or character. So we invite you to have your way. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now it's important as we go into this chapter once again to be reminded. uh, When John wrote... His hearers of this day, they faced great um, deception, deceptive teachings, especially of those who were called the Docetists and those who were called the Gnostics, which were big names uh, for those who, were, who had infiltrated the congregation but were teaching false teaching. They believed that the Lord Jesus had not really come in the flesh literally as a man, but that Jesus had become anointed as the Christ at his baptism. And he, but he was spirit. He wasn't really the Messiah. He wasn't literally the Christ. He only appeared to be God's Son in the flesh, but he was not literally. In other words, Jesus was just a spirit 
who appeared to have a body. And so this is its teaching they faced, among other things. And so we need to remember that. But there's descendants of these Gnostics, Docetists of today. You'll find them in the New Age movement, the Baha'i faith, inhabitants of many religions. This spirit of life and truth. There are liberals in the theological circles that say Christ was not God, that he never claimed to be God or act as God, nor was he the mediator between God and men. So John's original audience, boy, certainly is us today. We have a great need for spiritual discernment. Why? Well, he gives the reason right away. Verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In light of these challenges of John's words in our text, they're absolutely vital for the preservation of God's truth. I appreciated Ray Steadman's words. He said it is significant that this warning in verse 1 comes in the midst of John's discourse about love. Because false spirits need to make a great deal of the subject of love. Every cult, every false movement makes its appeal in the name of love. Love as an absolute can only be founded though, can only be sourced in absolute truth. And So it's interesting he makes that connection. And, and maybe you've, you've paid attention to that. There are many who come and a lot of these cults talk about love. And that love this and that, that love is, in essence, love becomes God. We often use that phrase and get it backward in our world. Love is God or God is love. Not for many in our world, love is God. But that's not what the Scriptures teach. There's a great need for discernment. And he talks about this phrase here, do not believe every spirit. Now this is kind of, remember, this is coming on the heels of chapter 3, verse 24, where he says at the end of chapter 3, he says, and the one who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. And we know this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he gives us. Now John's talking about another spirit. We know later it's the spirit of the Antichrist. Do not believe every spirit, he says. There's a familiar falsehood that goes, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. That would be called a false spirit behind that teaching. And John here teaches, behind all truth is the spirit of truth. Behind all error is the spirit of error. Behind all false teaching is the spirit, this principle of error. From the first day Satan deceived Eve in the garden until the last days when the Antichrist will deceive the world, evil spirits have promoted false teaching to lead people away from the living and the true God. The reason for discouragement John gives right away is there's false teachers out there who are promoting false teaching. And so he says, test the spirits. That word test, this phrase, means really to evaluate the utterances of people. We're to evaluate the utterances of people to see if they are from God. There's a great need to discern. Just because someone talks about God, or even speaks about the name of Jesus, does not mean what he or she is speaking is God's truth. Because there are spiritual forces seeking to deceive God's children. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4, this whole idea as he wrote to Timothy, he wanted Timothy to be aware of what was going on in the world as well. 
And so he wrote in Tim- 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, in the, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, and listen to this phrase, and doctrines of demons. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty much, that's right out there, man. I mean, these false teachings, these spirit of the Antichrist are doctrines of demons. I mean, that, that gets our attention. There's teaching out there that has its root in demonic forces. And these false prophets, he says in verse 1, they've gone out into the world. And that's the great need for discernment, he says. In this world around us, we have false prophets and false teaching. Now the whole Bible, if you were to read from beginning to end, we see there's false teachers operating in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And John's two concerns right away are false teachers, and so not surprisingly, false teaching. He's concerned about both. And Moses, we go back all the way to Deuteronomy, he warned of false teachers and prophets in Deuteronomy 13 and 18. He called them to take hard steps, harsh steps, to eradicate this false teaching, these false prophets. Acts 20, verse 29 through 30, poor Paul warns the elders about false teachers that would arise among them. They'd arise among those who even profess faith, just like they did in John's day. There was a great need to discern, because not every spirit is of Christ. Now, two examples, I ran into this at at unique uh, places. I'd taken a, a large group of teenagers to a national youth conference. We have a group going down to a national youth conference here uh, in a couple of weeks. And uh, we, had, we had worked hard and, and prepared for street evangelism. We're going to go in the streets and take the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And I one of the guys in my youth group named Matt, great name, and, uh, and, and, and he went out and he shared the gospel. Matt was solid. And, uh, and he came back. He says, you won't believe what I heard. He says, I shared the gospel with this guy. He said he was a Christian. And, but then he started talking about this need for a blue light. And he's like, I was so confused. What is this blue light he was talking about? And the only thing I could keep thinking about, where in the Bible does it say that? And I kept asking him. And he just says, I don't know. It's just something about a blue light we're supposed to be familiar with. And so he came back, and I'm like, there's a reminder. You're taking the gospel out into the world. And there's false teaching. There's things believed that people don't even know why they believe it. Another time I was taking some training by Accelerated Christian Education. I was administrated a Christian school, and this was kind of the curriculum we used. And so I went down to Texas to do some training, and they were shuttling us back and forth. And we got talking among those who were taking the training about the book of Revelation, some things there, and and there was a young lady there who was taking a training, and she said, yeah, what always amazes me is about that green horse in Revelation. I'm going through my head going, there's a white horse, there's a red horse, there's a black horse, and there's a gray horse, or ashen. There's no green horse. And so I'm like, what, what green horse? And she goes, there's a green horse. I said, there's no green horse in Revelation. I mean, let's read it, but I'm pretty sure there's no green horse there. And she says, but don't you know that when you combine the colors? I said, seriously? She was dead serious. You get a green horse, and it's not specifically named. I said, you're right, it's not specifically named. And so she was off in this huge tangent. No matter how hard we tried to talk and point her out, there was a green horse in her mind. 
And so I just reminded those two examples of the great need for discernment. We need to be discerning as Christians. And what's the basis for discernment? As John says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So discernment, as John says, is based upon this confession of Jesus Christ. A false teacher may be loving, He may be gentle, and according to Scripture, he could even perform miracles. But the question is, does he lead people towards Jesus Christ? Or does he lead them towards a false God? The first test of any teacher, what does he think about Jesus Christ? And this is a criterion that eliminates a host of heresies. John lays it down in verse 2 through 3, and he says it's very clear. To confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is to agree with that statement. But it also means more than that. Because all demons, we know, agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who's come in the flesh. Mark 1, 24, chapter 3, 11, and chapter 5, 7. These demons knew that Jesus was the Son of God who'd come in the flesh. We know from James, even demons believe in God. So demons probably have a better doctrinal handle than a lot of Christians. Because they believe Jesus had come in the flesh. But to confess this truth about Jesus means submitting your life to that Jesus you confess. And furthermore, John's test requires believing in true deity and humanity of Christ. You see the words in verse 2, right near the end. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It implies this pre-existence. This eternal nature of the Son of God. You see it all through the Gospel of John, and we see it here in 1 John, and we'll see it again. I mean, John exhorts you and I to make sure we have a biblical Christology. And what 1 John is telling us is that if we get Christ wrong, everything else is off. And if we believe in the wrong Christ, to believe in the one who is less than Christ revealed in Scripture is to listen to teaching and teachers who are not of the Spirit of God and don't have the Spirit of God but instead have evil spirit. And verse 3 says the spirit, even the spirit of the Antichrist. We've talked about that earlier. To deny that Jesus is true God, and at the same time true man, is to deny the Christian faith. If he were not God, he would have been a sinner. And his death on the cross could not have been atoned for. Anything beyond his own sins. And if he were not a mere man, he could not have assumed our sins on the cross. And thus, faith in Christ is to save from sin, you and I, drowning in sin. And any teaching that denies that Jesus is true God and true man, that he's the second person of the Godhead who took on human flesh in the incarnation, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And we are to deny this and reject this. Because the essence and the need of of spiritual discernment centers around Jesus Christ and who he is. Now, some of you might be here sitting thinking, okay, I hear you. In John's day, there were a lot of false teaching, false teachers. There were these Gnostics and Docetists. Okay, I hear you. And you might be thinking, good thing we don't face that today. And you might be saying, I'm not really aware of anybody or any group that teaches anything false about Jesus Christ. And maybe you haven't come across. I'm just going to give you a couple. The Church of Scientology. 
Jesus is recognized as a part of a religious heritage, but he's seen as only one of many good teachers. In one of their writings, operating at Thetan level number eight, which is the highest level, L. Ron Hubbard, the founder, blasphemes Jesus as not being a historical figure. But then later, states Jesus was not nearly saintly as people have and given to fits of rage. Well, he just said he wasn't a historical figure. And so there's heresy on both ends. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth and both sides are wrong. And so when you enter this whole idea of church of Scientology, which you see many celebrities uh, vocally being a part of it, you realize that there's erroneous teaching about who Jesus is. Then there's Mormonism. They believe Jesus appeared alongside the Father to the prophet Joseph Smith, who is a prophet of what they call the Restoration. He introduced this new revelation called the Book of Mormon. And in it, I quote, We believe Jesus is the Son of God the Father and as such inherited, there's a flag, powers of Godhead, and divinity from his Father, including immortality, a capacity to live forever. In their book, and their teaching, Jesus is just a creation. He's a literal Son of God, and his goddess mother, begotten in pre-existence. Carried further, many espouse him as the spirit brother of Satan. In a Mormon religion, he had a free will, Jesus, and he chose good, and his spirit brother Satan, well, he chose bad. And so when we go and trace the Mormon religion and their teaching, they're found desperately wanting and desperately erroneous when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. We have the emergent church. One of the marks of the emergent church is to do away with any creeds. Anything that's absolute. It's created a doctrinal free-for-all. Trying to discover what the emergent church believes is like trying to nail jello to a tree. Rob Bell, who's ascribed to this in one of his writings called Velvet Ellis, Velvet Elvis, left open the possibility that Jesus had a real biological father, thus denying the virgin birth. We're faced with this erroneous teaching about Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus was created, that he was not God who came in the flesh, that salvation was not by Christ alone. So there's four examples of groups that you could run across today. Many of them are very kind people, good-hearted people, but they're deceived. And if they would stand on this book, on this truth, they would be in a lot better shape. We'll talk about what happens when you don't in a minute. But if you look at verse 2 and really get a hold of it, we would agree with John Calvin who writes, John repeats here what we have met, before, met with before, that as Christ is the object at which faith aims, so he is the stone at which all heretics stumble. And as long then as we, you and I abide in Christ, there's safety. But when you and I depart from him, faith is lost and all truth is rendered void. So I can't encourage you enough to study Scripture especially with regard to the person and work of Christ. You need to get a handle on that. I lived in Madison some years ago and had a knock on a door. and There was a young lady who wanted to talk about the, the, this faith religion she belonged to. And she had a little magazine called Awake Magazine. And I invited her in and my mom was there and we had a nice conversation with her. And, and I took her to the scriptures and I asked her what did she believe about Jesus. And, and, and we opened the Bible 
And we were studying and learning, and, and you could tell some of this was new to her, and she was like, oh, wow, you know, kind of writing a lot of verses down and different things, and we had a great time and closed in prayer, and, and she left that day, and I thought, oh, God, thanks. I, I felt like we were able to clarify some things with her. The next day, we got a knock on our door again. This woman was back, but she was with an older gentleman. And they came in, and we opened the scriptures, and, and, uh, and I, as I sat there, I said to the gentleman, I, it's nice you're here, but I'm continuing to talk with her. You're welcome to listen in. And, uh, but he wouldn't let her talk. And he opened his Awake magazine. I said, I'm not interested in your magazine. What I'm interested in is this. Let's look at scripture. No. We're, you know, and he's trying to cut her off. <clears throat> I said, sir, you can leave. But her, we're, cap- we're carrying on a conversation. You clearly aren't interested in what the Bible teaches. She is. And instead, he got up and took her out. And I, I, I pray for her because I think her spirit was open. But there's an example of what happens when you move from Scripture. Bad things happen. <laughs> You're likely to be deceived. And false teachers will often take you to other quote-unquote authoritative sources. Often they'll hinder people from studying the Bible or they'll take out certain passages and build a whole theology on it. You and I need to make sure we're discerning people. And we stand on Scripture and understand the basis of Scripture is Jesus Christ. And so as you study, I strongly encourage you to study His life. Here's my challenge for us this summer, application-wise. I know that a lot of us will take advantage of this time in the summer to go on vacation. I don't know, camping and swimming, I think, I think vacation's great. That's fun. But unfortunately, at times, we tend to take a spiritual vacation. We're like, you know what, I'm out of my routine, I don't have my disciplines like I did, but that's okay because I'm on vacation And so we vacate from everything. And don't let that happen. And so here's my challenge to us as a congregation. This summer's person, persons, families, couples, read through the Gospel of Mark. Let you and I zero in on the person of Jesus Christ. Mark is 16 chapters. Which means if you've got four months of four weeks, chapter a week. Maybe read that same chapter every day. You get a pretty good handle on it. And so by the end of the summer, we will have all read the Gospel of Mark and got to be more familiar with his life and his teaching. And you can't go wrong there when we focus on him. And so there's my challenge to you as a congregation and to myself. Let's read through the Gospel of Mark. Back to this text. Verse 4 through 6, the evidence of discernment. Notice he uses a phrase <clears throat> a lot in these verses and actually throughout this book. You are from God. He seems like he really wants to hammer home to them. You belong to God. You're a child of God. You're from God. Thus, things are different. It's repeated. By way of contrast, the false teachers and those who followed them were from the world. So John lays it out. You're either from God or you're from the world. And if you're from the world, there's false teaching and false uh, teachers, and you're being deceived. There's a spirit of error among the world. But you're from God. And so you should be able to have it right. You should be discerning about what's going on around you. And he uses the word listens. He says in verse 4, You are from God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he who is within you than he who is within the world. That's good news. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens 
to them. Almost has a, this idea of a big crowd. And the world is kind of, the teaching of the world draws big crowd. We know that's true. It's a principle that if you tell the world what it wants to hear, you'll get a big crowd. And what the world wants to hear is this idea of easy believism. I can believe in Jesus, but go do what I want. I can believe in Jesus, punch the card to heaven, and then the rest of my life is about me. And we're told that a lot. And that tickles people's ears because who wants to go to hell? And if I can go to heaven and still live the way I want and do what I want, quote-unquote want, then I got it made. But you are not of the world. You're from God. So you and I are to think different. We are to look at things differently. The Spirit protects us from God's Word. Verse 6, notice the connection. We're from God, and he who knows God listens to us. What John is really saying is it's not really us so much, it's what we're teaching you. And what we're teaching you is truth. And if you're from God, you're listening to that truth which we're proclaiming. That's what he's saying. This apostolic witness. If you're from God, you're listening to this witness about who Jesus Christ is, whether it's the Gospel of John or uh, John's epistles. That's what he's saying. You're from God and you're listening to this apostolic witness. You You and I need to realize because we're from God and there are those from the world that we have a totally different starting point when we look at life. Totally different. The world often begins with me, but we should be beginning with Christ because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And so we have a totally different starting point. We ask different questions. We plan differently. We decide differently. We should have different morals, different standards because we're not from the world, we're from God. He draws this contrast sharply, and in this text, the contrast primarily is about this teaching and who we follow as our teachers. I came across this story from Jay Adams, relates a couple years ago. On one occasion in his travels, he was driving through the state of Texas. He heard a preacher on the radio, and the preacher was inviting his listeners, and I quote, Stay tuned to the end of this message, because if you stay, stay tuned, I'll tell you how to obtain, ready for this, an autographed picture of Jesus Christ. An autographed picture. Yeah, that's funny. And this is over the radio. And you say this isn't possible, but it's factual. And it's what's going on. The evidence we have here of those who know God is that they listen to God's teachings and they're aware. They become more and more aware and more and more discerning of that which is false teaching. And they align themselves with teaching and teachers who stay true to His Word. The late A.W. Tozer, I came across this in a Moody Monthly magazine some years ago, and he had some wise counsel on how to test the spirits. He, he posed these seven tests to apply to any teaching. How does the teaching affect my relationship with God? Is he magnified and glorified, or is he diminished? And secondly, how does the teaching affect my attitude toward the Lord Jesus? Does it magnify him and give him first place? Or does it subtly begin to shift my focus onto myself or to some experience? A third test, he says, how does this teaching, this teaching affect my attitude towards Scripture? 
Did the teaching I'm hearing come from, does it agree with the rest of Scripture? And does it increase my love for the Word? A fourth test, he says, how does this teaching affect my self-life? Does it feed self or crucify it? Does it feed pride or humility? The fifth one, how does this teaching affect my relationships to other Christians? Does it cause me to withdraw, find fault, and exalt myself in superiority? Or does it lead me to genuine love for all that truly know Jesus? How does this teaching affect my relationship to the world system? Does it lead me to pursue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life? Or does it lead me to pursue worldly riches, reputation, and pleasures? Or does it crucify the world to me? And seven, how does this teaching affect my attitude towards sin? Does it cause me to tolerate sin in my life? Or to turn from it and grow in holiness? Pretty good test to apply to any teaching. You and I need to learn to think critically. And if you're faced with some teaching, or if you're sitting down with somebody and it seems off, it seems like the Spirit of God's giving you an unsettledness, there's four questions you could ask of His teachers which probably would be very revealing and helpful. What do you mean by that? I find that to be an important question. Get explanations, get definitions. Oftentimes they'll refuse to explain what they mean, and that's a red flag. Or they can't explain it. It might have been something they heard. What do you mean by that? Second question, where do you get your information? That's an important question. If you're somewhere on religion, you get it in New York City, where their headquarters is. Not from the Bible. In other religions, it could be the Vatican. Ask them, where is this information? Where are you getting it from? Three, how do you know it's true? <laughs> Probably the most powerful question. How do you know that what you're telling me is true? We have some real incredible evidence of Scripture, but whenever something else is coming along, ask them that. And question, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? Have you ever thought about that? That'd be a good thing to make them think about. Those four questions I find are helpful in interacting with, interacting with those who would teach. Applications, let's wind this up. Number one, be aware false teaching is going to increase. The Bible tells us it's going to. It's going to increase. I just had two weeks ago someone pull in my driveway. Got out and said, how are you doing today? And, and they said, I'd like to share something with you. And I said, first of all, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Do you believe he's God who's come in the flesh, that he's the Savior of the world? Because I knew, I knew where he was and what he was coming from. And, um, and he said, well, not exactly. I said, then we really don't have anything else to talk about. You know, I, know, I know where you're from, and I've studied extensively your religion, and I know that we're not going to have a, an, agree, a, an agreement on that which is most crucial. So we agreed to disagree, and, and he went on his way. But I was reminded again that false teaching isn't going away. It's only going to increase. So you and I need to make sure that whatever teaching we're faced with, the first thing, and John would have us ask, is what is this teacher or teaching saying about Jesus Christ? you got to start there. John did. <laughs> he zeroed in on who Christ was. And what gospel's being preached? Great question. We need to realize that false teaching is going to increase. Number two, you and I need to be diligent to study the Scriptures. You don't have to be a scholar, but just be learning. 
more and more what the Bible says. And the more you become aware of what Scripture says, the false teachings will become a little bit more evident. Because you'll have a knowledge of Scripture, a growing knowledge that will help you. And when the Spirit of God and the Word of God are together in your life, you're allowed to walk in the Spirit. And God gives great discernment then. Be diligent to study the Scriptures. Be prayerful. Pray for those who are deceived and being deceived. Find Christ. Pray that they would find Christ or that God would silence their teachings should they choose to continue to reject Him. God never gives us discernment in order that we may criticize or win debates. It's that we might intercede. It's we might pray for people. Not that we're better or superior. It's by God's grace we're in His family. There's nothing... Nothing we bring to the table, so it's not like I got anything more or you got anything more than anybody else. It's all about grace. And might discernment lead us to pray? We come on our knees. Pray believers you interact with. Pray those you're discipling would be protected from false teaching. Cover them with prayer. A couple days ago, I'm driving my car down the road, and you remember the pouring rain we just had? I mean, it's coming. And I turn my windshield wiper on, bing, there it goes. I'm like, why now? So, so now, my daughter Emily can see quite fine out of the passenger side, but I'm just, I can't see anything. So I got this bare thing on, hoping that little thing, a rubber thing will do something. I can't see a thing. I'm leaning over, and all around this water is just pelting and pelting. And it was really, really difficult to see. It was hard. And uh, like that, we live in a world where we're getting pelted by all this false teaching, and it gets really hard to see. One thing after another after another, and we're leaning around trying to find out what's true and what's not true. Spiritual discernment is the windshield wiper. And that when we turn it on, it clears away that false teaching, and we're able to lock in upon Christ and upon what His calling is our life. We're living in foggy days We're living in a day where there's a lot of bad ideas about God. But if we turn on the wiper of spiritual discernment, you and I can walk in the clarity of faith. Let's pray. Lord, I know as I've gone through this passage, there's a part of me that feels very inferior giving this message and don't want anyone to think I stand in a place of knowing more than anybody else. But I pray we'd all take the posture of whatever we've received is only received from your Spirit. I'm not smart enough. It's only by your Spirit that I understand anything. And I know my brothers and sisters share that, share that conviction. So Lord, we come just in deep humility. Humility that you saw fit to pour out your grace and mercy upon our life. To pour your Spirit into our life. So Lord, we come humbly, first of all, thanking you. Thanking that we have the spirit operation in our life that we can understand truth. And that you'd protect us from the spirit of error, which is all around us. Continue, God, to keep us grounded in your truth. Keep us, Lord, diligent in reading your word. That we could be more discerning, especially about who you are. Because, Lord, we want to magnify you. We want to honor you for who you really are. 
And so, Lord, help us as individuals, as a church here at Elam, for the other churches in our communities. Lord, please work in all of our hearts and all of our lives so your people would stand and find anchors for our soul in your glorious truth. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.